0: I'm Hemant Mehta and I'm Jessica Blumke and you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. If you've ever seen VeggieTales, you're familiar with Phil Vischer. He's the animator, puppeteer, writer, voice actor, and songwriter who co-created that series. His production company uh, grew to over 200 workers by the year 2000, before a lawsuit sent the company into bankruptcy and forced Phil to basically start over again— But he now runs Jellyfish Labs, where he produces faith-based content. He also hosts the Phil Vischer podcast, which is a very entertaining show, and I know because he was kind enough to invite me on it, all about Christianity in a post-Christian America. So, Phil, thanks for uh, joining us. And... This is going to seem like an odd question to ask you, but because our audience is mostly atheists, what the hell is VeggieTales?
1: <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, VeggieTales is is basically animated vegetables telling, reenacting Bible stories.
0: So the two uh, things children love I vegetables and church makes
1: no sense whatsoever. <laughs> it, It wasn't supposed to make sense. Here's how it happened. I was a computer animator in Chicago uh, around 1990, 1991, living in the city, doing a lot of commercial work, and I was trying to figure out. I was noticing that more and more media did not reflect what I referred to at the time as, as Sunday school values. You know, the values I'd, I'd look, heard and learned on Sunday morning. I thought, okay, could I do something for kids that taught them basically the values of Sunday morning, Sunday school values, but in a, in a way that felt more like Saturday morning, which for me as a kid was cartoons. So uh, I was playing around with characters. and I had to come up with really simple characters that I could afford to animate. And that was a trick in 1990, computer animation. So they couldn't have arms, legs, hair, or clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the technical limits. And so I started playing around with a candy bar. And I thought, okay, Mr. Candy Bar, and maybe if I can bring this character to life uh, affordably, then he can somehow tell Bible stories. And uh, I had just brought Mr. Candy Bar to life. I just got married about six months before then, and my wife walked by and saw a candy bar on the computer screen and said, you know, moms are going to be mad if you make their kids fall in love with candy bars. (laughs) I thought, good heavens, she's right. Well, what wouldn't moms be mad about their kids falling in love with that's shaped like a candy bar? And the next thing that popped into my head was a cucumber. So I had the uh, cucumber, and he was tall and skinny, and I needed someone short and round to be a sidekick, so I came up with a tomato and uh, named them Bob and Larry, and that was 1993. Uh, we were actually working out of a storefront on the north side of Chicago at the time. I uh, launched it in 1993. It went into Christian bookstores only at first in 1994. We sold about 50,000 copies across the country in Christian bookstores. And then uh, people started noticing just how weird it was because we had, uh, you know, Money Python references and we'd parody Star Trek and parody Gilligan's Island and just do all these weird things that people were not used to seeing in religious uh, children's videos. And uh, and then it took off and we started getting press and, you know, mainstream uh, newspapers and uh, magazines and TV. And suddenly I was on CNN, and then the thing just exploded, and then Walmart wanted to carry it, and Target wanted to carry it. And by uh, the year 2000, we'd sold 30 million VeggieTales videos. So it's today, as of today, I think they've, they they keep on selling, even though I'm no longer involved. They've sold about 65 million VeggieTales videos. It was parodied by Saturday Night Live. Uh, it's been referenced on five different episodes of The Simpsons. It just kind of went crazy.
0: And so uh, I don't need to rehash everything that you went through, but uh, for whatever reason, as the uh, company expanded, uh, the business grew, the lawsuits came or whatever, a lawsuit came. I'm more curious uh, because I think I've heard you say there was a lawsuit. You guys had to go into bankruptcy, even though you won the case on appeal. Uh, Tell me if I'm wrong about that. But I'm really curious how you overcame that. How you kind of started over after you had such a massive hit?
1: Yeah, we basically the the mistake I made was I just I wanted to do as much good as I could as fast as I could. And the way I looked at it was that Hollywood was giving kids you know I, I, what I would consider Twinkies. You know, Hollywood was giving them Power Rangers and this violent stuff, and then uh, stuff that was just designed to sell toys. And I was trying to give them, you know, wholesome values. So I thought the more I can do, the faster, the better. So I, uh, whenever we made more money off selling videos, I hired more people. I hired more animators. I hired more artists. I put more people to work. Um, and I just kept hiring until <laughs> I basically spent the company into bankruptcy. <laughs> and there was a lawsuit. Uh, we, we made our own feature film, Jonah, a VeggieTales movie. Which became the highest-grossing uh, Christian movie of all time until Mel Gibson decided to make a Christian movie the next year, <laughs> and uh, that was the end of that record. Um, oh. But it, it yeah, it, it slipped into bankruptcy in 2003 because I wouldn't, I didn't want to let anyone go, uh, even you know when I realized we were running out of money, um, and so I ended up with nothing and then had to start over again, and kind of went back to. to you know, a blank piece of paper to, to say, okay, because I don't know if you know about this, but I'm a Christian. What? I don't, you? I don't, know, I don't know if I've mentioned that. I, you may not have Twist. invited me on the podcast if you knew that. But anyway, you
0: had so 666
1: I, in your phone number. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I am a religious person. And so I really felt that it was a call from God. Like he wants me to do this. Um, and what I what was amazing, and this is what, when I you know tell people my story, my assumption was, that, and I was working so hard, I was killing myself, you know, physically. It was affecting my relationships. I'd really become kind of miserable, running on this you know George Jetson uh, uh, treadmill of, of I got to keep making the veggies, I got to keep making the veggies <laughs> because it's what God wants me to do. And when the whole thing fell apart, I was like, okay, God, this doesn't make any sense. Don't you see how hard I was working? And what I realized, and this was through about three months of really extensive prayer and reading the Bible and and saying, okay, what was wrong with what I was doing? Um, I I felt like he pointed out to me how miserable I had become and that me being healthy and happy was more important to him than me, you know, doing this amazing thing for him and killing myself. I was really hoping you were
2: going to say you figured out that God hated vegetables and I was just super excited (laughs) for that.
1: (laughs) I don't see that. No, I don't, I don't really, I don't see that theologically. So, uh, I started over again and went back to a blank piece of paper and said, all right, what was I trying to do in the first place? I'm just really trying to, you know, help parents share the Bible with their kids and, and teach them what's in it. So, I, went back to, to nothing and uh, started a new series called What's in the Bible, which is, we describe it as the Muppets go to seminary. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's basically a mix. I needed to do it for a, a smaller budget. So it's a mix of puppets and animation and then me teaching on camera. And we walk families all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You know, And I have no problem whatsoever if someone rejects the Bible once they know what's in it. I just, I don't, I don't like it when people reject it without ever, opening it. So I'm trying to walk people, families all the way through the Bible and say, this is what's in it. Now, you know, what you do with it is entirely up to you.
2: Um, I know there are some, uh, shall we say, untoward parts of the Bible that maybe aren't <laughs> family friendly, which I... I don't
1: know what you're talking about. No,
2: no, no, no. I mean, we must be reading a different Bible then. I'm sorry, that's on me. Yeah.
1: No, with Veggie VeggieTales, uh, we actually taught the story of David and Bathsheba to kids which was one of my favorite episodes. Some fancy footwork you got there. uh, David, you know, he's the king. He's got whatever he wants. Uh, He sees a a hot chick uh, bathing on a rooftop and says, I want her too. And so he takes her, uh, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. And then uh, because her husband is coming home, is going to find out has her husband murdered. It's a great story. Um, (laughs) Okay, seriously. Someone suggested (laughs) the idea of retelling it. as uh, It's called King George and the Bath Ducky. And it's a king who he's literally on his rooftop and he sees someone, a little kid taking a bath with a bath with a rubber ducky and King George collects rubber duckies. He has all the rubber duckies he wants and needs, but he decides he wants this little kid's rubber ducky. So he takes the rubber (laughs) ducky. Uh, and then so the little kid sent out to the battlefield to be creamed at a pie war, and has been creamed in a pie war. Do you so get in no trouble? Know.
0: Do you get in trouble with biblical Wait, literalists?
2: Hold on, what moral are kids <laughs> taking from this?
1: <laughs> um, it's about greed. It was a story about greed. He had, and that's you know when in the in the Bible story when Nathan the Phil. Prophet, there's comes so out, many
2: good stories about greed that don't involve somebody <laughs> dying in a pie war.
1: <laughs> he doesn't die. He gets knocked silly. <laughs> so
2: that's
1: a Just like, like Jesus wanted, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have. I mean, there are uh, there are people who like their Bible stories completely literal. You know, tell it exactly the way it's told in the Bible. And uh, uh, to them, you know, because when when Daniel went down in the lion's den, in our version, the, the lions shared pizza with him, you <laughs> know. And, and then, and we had people say, "Hey, that's not in the Bible." I we know, but <laughs> like, no what is pizza in the What Bible. is sacred about the story we're honoring? Um, and then we, you know, kind of go in our version of uh, uh, Dave or uh, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. The uh, we put French peas on the walls of Jericho because they reminded us of the Frenchmen from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> so, so they're you know the Israelites are marching around the walls, and then the French peas were like, "Well, what are they doing? Just staring at them?" I'm like, no, they're they're throwing slushies at them. <laughs> so they have you know sl- big giant slushy cups, and they dump them on the Israelites. We thought that was kind of funny. Let me
0: uh, let me stem off of what Jessica asked because. It's one thing to retell a Bible story in a way that uh, maybe gets the message across without necessarily getting into all the R-rated, uh, yeah, what's the word? Uh, Carnage. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. But what about what about the? Uh, controversial issues that Christians often have to deal with things like that we see in the culture wars, homosexuality, abortion. Do you ever tackle those issues using kind of your animation, your, your uh, characters, anything like that? Or did you stick to just, we're just going to retell these stories in a way that's more palatable to children.
1: Depends, depends on what age you're talking to. Um, because Veggie Tales was primarily targeted at at preschool age kids you know, those are topics that parents don't want you introducing to their kids mm-hmm. around them. So, so those are, you know, I want to talk to my kids about homosexuality. I don't necessarily want an animated uh, tomato <laughs> talking to my kids. <laughs> well, an animated cucumber would definitely get awkward. Oh,
2: God. Yeah, I you're wasn't welcome. even going to go you're there. You're
1: welcome. No. You're welcome. But thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. Um and I had there was uh, the uh, Los Angeles Reader decided that Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber standing together and turned <laughs> sideways were very obviously male genitalia, <laughs> and <laughs> and that's what we were behind all the time.
2: Wait, wait, so, wait. so again, I've, what did they think your end there. goal was? There? Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> so you talked about now, when we get when we get to uh, uh, what's in the Bible, which is geared towards like third, fourth, fifth grade kids then we're, we're getting into more of the controversial issues of the Bible. You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, why was it okay for the Israelites to kill all those Canaanites? Uh, what's with all the weird rules in the book of Leviticus? And why do we say we have to obey some, but we don't say we have to obey others? actually yeah, I have those, all those those, questions. <laughs> those
0: are uh, fun things to try to explain. I mean and I'm not necessarily interested in getting a, in into a theological debate on this stuff, well. but how do you as a I mean you're running a business. How do you tackle those issues in a way that doesn't piss off a whole bunch of Christians because you're gonna, <laughs> you're screwed no matter what you say because they don't all agree on these issues so yeah, how do you well, even you approach that
1: um i uh, okay i live in Wheaton Illinois right by Wheaton College uh friends of mine work at uh, Christianity Today magazine that's really the birthplace of the american evangelical movement yeah, it's uh, modern extremely- evangelicalism um, the to Christianity Arcadon. Today was founded by Billy Graham because he wanted to respond to liberal Christian publications like the Christian Century, So, uh, but he didn't want to be fundamentalist uh, like Bob Jones University and some others, so he was trying to find a middle ground, uh, a way to be orthodox Christian uh, and also intellectually curious. And and that was the founding of Christianity Today magazine, uh, which came you know right out of Wheaton College here in the western suburbs of Chicago. So I strike a balance of aiming for what I call centrist evangelicalism, although I probably tend to veer towards the side of progressive evangelicalism. And and how you parse those things out is very complex. Um, but I take the Bible very seriously. And this is where, you know, where I will lose people. For example, I don't believe in a literal uh young earth. You know, I I don't believe that the Bible says the earth is six thousand years old. And no one in the science department at Wheaton College believes that the earth is six thousand years old. There's a there's a woolly mammoth uh that Wheaton College students found in Glen Ellen and dug out and restored and it's on display in the Science Museum and it says right below it on a label. You know, it lived about 20,000 years ago. So I lose people fairly quickly if they are absolutely militant about the idea of a a young earth, uh, which would be the Ken Ham Creation Museum crowd. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just have to make peace with that, that I lose those people.
0: Uh, it's okay to lose those
1: people there are more progressive theological christians that you know have given up on the notion of of really taking the bible literally like it's it's historical uh, of taking miracles seriously and you know evangelicalism centrist evangelicalism does take those things seriously so i take those things seriously when i teach and we'll lose some people who say oh no come on you know you can't really expect us to believe that and I say, no, I, I, I actually do. So you, you just have to be aware of, you know, if you're gonna offend someone, at least know it, know it ahead of time. <laughs> so so oh,
2: right. I live my life. <laughs>
1: and then, you know, because it is a business where, where I'm spending money and you know, from investors and I have to figure out a way to give it back. Whenever I'm gonna tell a story or teach something, I just have to figure out, okay, how how big is the audience for this? if I'm taking this tack, you know, if I'm going to lose all of Ken Ham's fans, or if I'm going to lose, uh, you know, the more of the Princeton uh, seminary crowd, um, what do I have left? And and then how much can I spend on this video? And if I can't, you know, afford to tell the story for the audience I think I've got, well, then I, I don't tell a story.
2: That's a really interesting, like, <laughs> line you have to walk there.
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's nothing but fun. No, it, I actually <laughs> enjoy the challenge because it's, you know, it's like if if you have infinite money to make something, it can be overwhelming, or mm-hmm. infinite resources to make something. But if someone says, "All right, you've got you know you've got you seven boundaries. crayons, mm-hmm. so you have to make a picture with seven colors," mm-hmm. and you've got a piece of paper that's exactly this big, mm-hmm. uh, I enjoy the creative challenge of you know, and that's why with what's in the Bible. Uh, you know, VeggieTales, those budgets could get as big as about a million dollars an episode because it was all CGI animation and it was, you know, very well done. And I knew I couldn't spend that much on what's in the Bible because I was being more narrow. I was being more specific theologically um, and that it would probably never end up in Walmart. So instead of CGI, Uh, animation i went with puppets and then some limited flash animation and you just you know you choose the tools don't worry so much about the tools and the budget just worry about what you're trying to accomplish and then find a way to do it
0: so let's talk about something that i know you know something about which is christian media why is it that most of the christian media we tend to see are like d rated oh my god it's just Shit, sorry, I can swear it's my show. It, <laughs> yeah. It's they're shitty versions of secular media, and I mean, yeah. obviously, like you said, you're referencing Monty Python, you're obviously doing something right. Ooh, you're connected to you a shitty
2: version of Monty Python. No, 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 that's not, that? that's not what I'm
0: saying, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it worked, Fight. I'm saying it worked for you, but for some reason, yeah. so much of Christian media that we see are just really horrible. I mean, what. Why haven't they figured this out yet? Because it's not like why money.
1: It, why is it so bad?
0: <laughs> yes, they, they have money. They have resources. Why yeah, it are Christians. It takes more than
1: money. I mean, yes. how many big budget films are terrible that come out of Hollywood? So, you know, so money isn't, isn't it. There are two, I'll give you two reasons. Um, reason number one in the conservative Christian world, uh, up until about 30 years ago, for many people, movies were still considered evil. You know, my, my grandparents never set foot in a movie theater. Huh. Um, that would have been like going to a, a, a Bordello you know? <laughs> or, or, or they also, I mean, they wouldn't play cards, you know? So, so there was this, and it came out of the holiness movement, which was the Methodists in England, and it came over and and spread. And and, and for about 200 years, uh, Christians became conservative Christians became very concerned about specific behaviors. You know, and that's where we get things like don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. You know, it's like there was a a whole list of things that Christians weren't supposed to do. And going to movies was one of them because movies historically came out of vaudeville and burlesque, Mm. you know, on the East Coast. And a a good Christian would never go into a, a vaudeville house or a burlesque house. Uh, Those were sins of iniquity, uh, dens of iniquity. So since movie theaters, initially they were converted uh, vaudeville theaters and burlesque houses, so around the 1900s, 1910s, uh, uh, a good Christian would never associate with that whole industry. As a result, we told our kids, no, and you're not going to go to movies either, and, and so we had whole generations of kids that kind of sat out from that stream of entertainment, and we don't have... Those muscles to do that stuff. So we sent our kids to Africa to be missionaries, but not to Hollywood to go to film school.
0: But I mean, That's that makes a sense. Really, that, that makes, makes a sense. Of sense. Uh, that makes sense 20, 30 years ago. But clearly, well, the newer generation, I
1: mean, they did watch films. We're getting films. better. We're getting, we're getting better.
0: Slowly so here's, <laughs> better. Here's the other
1: side of Are it, we, though. Okay, yes. That was, just, that was just reason number one. Okay. okay. Reason number <laughs> one. Is is the creative muscles atrophied? I mean, there was a day where all the best art was created by you know people who at least claimed to be Christians. Sure, sure. Um, you know whether it was music or, or sculpture or painting, um, but art was considered glorifying to God. Okay, movies, uh, TV, uh, radio, because it was so related with you know with uh, burlesque and, and really big city vice. Uh, that Christians got out of that whole thing and really abandoned it to the devil. This is of the devil. We're giving it back to the devil. My great-grandfather was one of the first radio preachers in America in 1923. He went on the radio and preached every Sunday until 1963. Early on, he got letters from people saying, you have to get off the radio because the Bible says uh, the devil is the spirit of the air, quote-unquote, the Lord of the air, and you're... Preaching through the airwaves, so that's obviously satanic. So <laughs> well, we weren't even supposed to do radio. Damn like, radio <laughs> that One, I dare you. Yeah, <laughs> radio okay, evangelists, here's, here's Always the a other problem. part of it. Um, you need to raise money from investors, and you need people to help you market your movie. Uh, the people that signed up early on to help market Christian movies were all pastors. They, and that was where the, that was the target audience, because if you can get pastors behind your film, they'll talk about it on Sunday, and then people will turn out and you don't have to spend then you know 50 million dollars on marketing, which you couldn't raise that much. So you're suggesting that,
0: people have a lot of heart behind this, but they don't necessarily have the Hollywood brain power necessary. There's that,
1: but pastors want something very specific from a movie if they're going to get excited about it. Pastors want a movie that is an evangelism opportunity. So they want a movie that has a clear presentation of the gospel so that if you invite your non-Christian friends to go, they will be floored by how clearly they've been presented the gospel and they'll fall on their knees in the theater lobby and they'll come to Jesus. That's what pastors get excited about. Now, the fact that that almost never happens, right. And that people that aren't looking for a message about Jesus will never pay ten dollars to get one if they've been warned. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but if it's not if there's no overt, you know, and and that's why I mean, do you know who the Kendrick brothers are? I don't okay, know okay, they are the uh, right now the most successful Christian filmmakers they made uh, facing the Giants, fireproof. Okay. I have heard Heredia. of those movies for what it's worth. Yeah. I haven't, sorry. So so the Christian movies that have made the most money were made by the Kendrick Brothers. The Kendrick Brothers are actually ordained pastors from Georgia. Uh, they worked at a church. Their first two movies, first three movies, were funded by the church where they worked. And starred uh, people from the church congregation, and were staffed by the church congregation. They were catered by the old ladies in the church. You know, <laughs> so the movies were literally church projects. So they were like sermons shot on on video, um, but all all uh, no professional cast, no professional crew. And they started out really terrible, but the two guys, the Kendrick brothers, Alex and and, Stephen, maybe? Or is he a Baldwin brother? I may be mixing up my brothers. Um, They actually have have pretty good storytelling chops. So the films have gotten better over time, but they still go back to the fact that we're ordained pastors making movies for ordained pastors, uh, because that's how the marketing machine works in the Christian world. So if it's not overtly religious with a come to Jesus moment and a look, you know, Jesus made my dream come true, and now you get into a little bit—is there prosperity gospel coming up in Christian movies that go over better? I mean, why do Joel Osteen's books sell better than more thoughtful pastors' books? Right, because there's 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 a heavy dose of wish fulfillment in them. But
0: let me so go, you, let me push back okay. a little bit on this because. Uh movies like I have no doubt that they look professional, they tell a good story, but yes, they are preachy. But here's what I don't get. Movies like God's Not Dead, uh, or the sequel, I mean
2: Left Behind.
0: Left Behind, which we talked we about saw. Show. Um Left Behind I mean, doesn't count. I I'm sorry. A, we'll we'll put one that and one and off the table. One.
2: But I feel like, well, <laughs> the okay, Nicolas
0: we'll Cage com- version. There's there's only that one. What other versions <laughs> are there? No, um, here's what I'm getting at. The God's Not Dead, I mean, some of these movies are intended to try to convert people or intended to reach beyond the Christian audience and stuff. And God's Not Dead did very, very well, uh, in terms of, you know, making back their money and then a ton. But like even those movies, I would think, strategically speaking, if you're less heavy-handed, if you're less reliant on stereotypes, you might actually get to accomplish your goal of trying to reach people with a message of Christianity. And I'm not saying you, Phil, but in general.
1: Yeah. And what yeah. I don't
0: get is when they're so heavy-handed with these messages, it seems to backfire. And of course, I mean, look, if you bring up God's Not Dead in the atheist world, you'll get a laugh because that's all yeah. it's good for in our world. And of, I would think we're kind of part of the audience they wanted to reach. And they failed miserably at that. If you know, they were you know, more subtle you know, about it. Be, yes. Can I
1: be honest? Please. Don't I don't think they were trying honest. to reach you.
0: They were trying to reach what? Christians who could have been strengthened uh, in their faith?
1: Uh, uh, youth groups. Okay. Youth group mm. kids that are headed for college and are in danger of losing their faith. Yeah. And, and what God's not dead... Did it work for them? Did it work for those youth group kids, do you think, who are were... I have no... Not the thoughtful
0: ones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, but that's what I'm getting at, right? Okay, you're right. that It wasn't reaching out to atheists. But, like, even for the thoughtful Christian kids who can see it and say... Those don't resemble the atheists I know. That doesn't represent the Christians
1: I know. But but you right. But if you are okay, if you're in the South, you're in a, a big church, you're in the youth group, you've never met an atheist, it is a very reassuring picture to have painted for you that atheists are A, angry and B wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, That is reassuring, and that brought people into that movie in droves because it's it's really, and this is part of the reason that most of my friends in Christian media would never go see one of those films because they're just we don't agree with them at all. Um, It's it's a a quasi Christian wish fulfillment fantasy, (laughs) you know. They're they're closely related to uh, Disney movies for kids where you know, hey, if you work hard enough, all your dreams can come true, you know, no matter what, because Disney and said so. And if you stand so. well, up against is, your atheist you know, professor, you, if, you're going
0: to convert him.
1: Yeah, if you yeah. pray hard He's enough. just mad at God. You know, God will show up and miracles will happen and all your dreams will come true. It's, it's <laughs> Disney wish fulfillment fantasy that's kind of been Christianized. Uh, and most thoughtful Christian reviewers just write scathing reviews they of did. those films. It yeah. was, it was, Wasn't they're hilarious perfect. to read. Um, well, uh-
2: <laughs> Phil, the way you put it It makes sense because they've set up a—it's a straw man of of a movie. Like, it paints atheists as these very two-dimensional—it's not that he doesn't believe in God. He's just mad at God. So all you have to do is, like—and it was a PowerPoint presentation, I think, that finally got him over the edge. But, like, it makes sense because, like, most atheists aren't just mad at God. Hey, dog. Hang on. (laughs) You can smell the atheists.
1: My dog barking. Get that dog out of here. We're a professional show. But yeah, we don't have to be working on our atheist podcast. No, (laughs) sir. So I, you know, I, I apologize for uh, much of, and let's, you know, should we start on Christian television? In in most of media, what your ultimate, and this is secular or or religious, ultimately your audience is uh, what will bring who will bring back the money to repay your investors. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the problem with Christian television because it's donor-driven, it's not commercial, it's donor-driven, and what brings in donations is preaching to uh, the appealing to the fears or the desires of very elderly rural Christians. Where, and where do you, so you shape your programming to accomplish uh, what keeps you in business. There was
0: an era where televangelists were all the rage, and there, those people still exist, no doubt. But I have to think, like, the, the Pat Robertson supporters, the, the whoever else is out there, um, their donors, their supporters, they probably won't be around in another generation or something. What's the right. next phase of Christian media? Where will, will uh, Christians try to preach to the masses.
1: Yeah, that's it. uh online. Mm. Online most likely. I mean some of the best stuff that's being done there's there's a uh, an effort called the Bible Project which is a, a couple of fairly young uh very thoughtful pastors in uh Portland, I believe, Portland or Seattle. And they're doing little animated, narrated, not like kid animated, but, you know, more like the whiteboard drawing out, explaining things animated, kind of like Khan Academy mm-hmm. uh, videos, but to explain theology, you know, to explain the Bible. And they are extraordinarily well done. Uh, they fund them uh, through crowdfunding, that's it, uh, Kickstarter stuff, and they just put them up on YouTube for free. Uh, and they're getting you know quite a few views, and and I recommend them to, to anybody because they're so well done. Um, that's happening. The, the major publishing houses, you know, whether it's the Southern Baptist Publishing House, Lifeway, or or Zondervan, and, and some of the other ones, they're funding things for churches uh, that end up some really nice uh, video curriculum and, and video series for small groups that are, that are quite well done. Christian TV has has really Historically, been the realm of uh, Pentecostals. Uh, mm-hmm. It was primarily Pentecostals who launched Christian TV stations because they, well, I'm not exactly sure why, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of money in it if you're good. They felt more comfortable um, promising uh, miracles <laughs> sure. in return for donations. Can I uh, ask you than, something? Speaking of, most other denominations would. <laughs> speaking
0: of all that stuff, explain to me if you can. Jim Baker and his buckets of food. What? His buckets of food? What are you talking about? Jim (laughs) Baker still has his show now. Uh Uh, Is
1: this current? This is the new uh Jim
0: Baker? Oh, yeah. And he goes on and he says, the apocalypse is coming, and when it comes, you will not be able to, like, go shopping. So I am selling giant buckets, giant, like, 60-gallon buckets of, like, broccoli and cheese soup.
1: Yeah, well, that makes, what that makes
0: sense. Of I course. Think Jesus told us to do that.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, because that's the only place you can get a bunch of soup is through a guy on the TV. If anyone's
0: listening yeah. and you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up Jim Baker okay. with two Ks to. and his buckets of food. Yeah. Once he finds out about
1: Costco, he'll realize how <laughs> pointless his current <laughs> exercise is. Um,
2: I want to circle back quickly to, um, to you rocking your way through the Bible with the puppets and such. Um, so yeah. w- women in general, don't get a super good rap in the Bible.
1: Um, Mm. I would probably disagree with you there, but go on. uh,
2: uh, (laughs) Okay. Well, let's go on my premise. But I mean, regardless, women aren't the lead of most of the stories. Do you ever feel like it's important to make sure that your young Christian girls also have a role model who is... Maybe looks or sounds like them instead of
1: yes. With with Veggie Tales, we singled out specifically uh, female led stories like Esther uh, and Ruth, and we and we did a, a big thing on Ruth in uh, What's in the Bible. I, I think, what, but what you also have to keep in mind and teach to kids because when you teach history. Yeah, especially ancient history. There are fair, very few leading women in ancient history because it's not how the ancient world worked. Uh-huh. You know, the ancient world was patriarchal, uh, and typically it was run by you know, whoever was the strongest and could pull together the most other strong guys to follow them around and beat other people up. Uh-huh. So it you know it became very difficult for women to lead in an ancient world uh, that was male strength dominated. And the Bible is placed in the ancient world. That's where those stories are set. So we try to go out of our way to say, you know, well, this is what uh, the, the women did in this day because, and then explain the background, you know, of, of, For example, you needed numbers to survive. In the ancient world, you needed numbers to survive. When it was tribal, uh, before there was the rule of law, you couldn't survive without numbers. So the more babies you could make <laughs> in a tribe, the better, which kept the women very, very busy. Because that was really what they were there for, was to produce numbers. And, and that's why they were viewed, you know, I mean, they were viewed highly, but not in terms of leadership, in terms of productivity, in that the the bigger we can grow this tribe, the better the chance we all have of surviving.
2: But do you think that's and a good...
1: Start, go go ahead. ahead.
2: Oh, Do you think that's a good story to be telling our girls? Is that like, yeah, you're important, but you're mostly important to like rack out babies. And no, we're talking about
1: the ancient world. It's very. But do you, it, do you, you think they understand re, you if, if you're talking about... history to, you know, you can't say, and this was the queen that ran uh, uh, ancient Greece. Well, no, uh, it? it was a... The guy. I think so, she's
0: asking, like, instead of just retelling the story, and this is what they were viewed as, and this is how they were honored as as mothers, as baby producers, whatever. Uh, when you're sharing that story today, uh, what message are you sending with that type of story?
1: Uh, you're you're trying to explain why in history. Uh, we needed, you know, women's rights, <laughs> why? And then you can explain what happened. See, I think there's a profound story to tell about the effect of Christianity on women in Europe, uh, even in the Victorian era, when men were taught by the church primarily that they could and should control themselves. Uh, And, you know, the the Western world, and if you compare what it's like to be a woman in England to what it's like to be a woman in Saudi Arabia, there's a huge difference, and, and part of it came down to teaching men that they were not animals, that they were higher than animals and they could control themselves, and the notion of the Christian gentleman and then the Christian lady developed, you know, in the West, which were kind of breaking down and becoming a little more animalistic in some ways, especially Donald Trump. Uh, but we tend to forget that, you know, there, there's the, uh, the English historian that just put out the book saying he now recognizes that he owes that, – that liberal Western ethics owes much more to Christianity – uh, than to ancient Greece and ancient Rome, the 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 difference between ancient Greece uh, and modern uh, uh, modern West is much greater ethically in terms of how you treat people, how you treat women, how you treat minorities, how you treat the least of these, uh, and and he's he's become absolutely convinced that it was really Christianity that made that turn, not. Uh, necessarily the Enlightenment, per se, and definitely not uh, ancient thinking.
2: But you cited the Victorian era specifically, that was a time that women were expected to be completely covered.
1: Uh, because out of respect to men who were trying to learn how to control themselves,
2: mm-hmm.
1: men, men were completely covered, too. If <laughs> yeah, word. that's a good point. I mean, my well, grandparents couldn't, my grandfather could not swim without a shirt. He was not allowed to, because um, that's not what a Christian gentleman did. So it, you know, it it kind of cut both ways. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't the kind of scenario you see, you know, in in the Muslim world where men are in speedos and and women are in in uh, mm-hmm. burkas.
2: Well, you uh, touched on it, so I think it's time for us to jump into what the hell's going on in this election campaign. And <laughs> um, so Trump is inexplicably still doing okay with.
0: <laughs> Evangelical, Evangelical Christians, yeah.
2: can you speak to yeah. that for me? Yeah, what's going to yeah. happen
0: with this world? I mean, yeah. What is happening? Why are they supporting him? And I'm really curious, like, what's going to happen after this election when you got to reckon with whatever happens?
1: Yeah, yeah. They, um, we've had Russell Moore on our show. You know, he's the, the head of the uh, Evangelical Religious uh, Liberty uh, Commission for the Southern Baptists, staunchly against Trump, has been from day one. Um, I really don't understand the people who've come out in favor of Trump. Um, There has been quite a bit of research done that the way pollsters use the term evangelical renders it almost meaningless because it's a self-identified term, and not a behavior or a belief-identified term. So fewer evangelicals um, support Trump than the, the poll's would lead one to believe when when Barna does research and they base it on beliefs Mm -hmm. rather than just self-selection. It's a much different picture. But the bottom line is we've got about two generations of conservative Christians now have been taught that the the Republican Party is the party of God and the Democratic Party is the party of abortion and the devil. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they cannot bring themselves to vote for a... Democrat. Um, you also have the Clinton family, which has been associated pretty closely with the devil as well because of Bill's behavior in the office. Uh, and I still I don't quite understand why Hillary <laughs> is like as disliked as she is. No, um, I But, I, I but agree. she really is. It disliked. is weird, though, that and, they're and- going
0: after Bill Clinton for his infidelity. Mm-hmm. But Donald Trump seems to get a pass with the same type of people.
2: And worse. And He's worse. He's much yes. worse, I'd argue.
0: Yeah, I mean, after yeah, this election... I, we're, is-
1: we're, we're not there. We're not there. I mean, the Sky Jatani, my co-host, is uh, is actually teaching an adult Sunday school class at our church for four weeks on politics, and uh, this Sunday, actually, it's this week's podcast episode, because we, we kind of repeated it for our podcast this week, is uh, telling the history of the religious right. Oh, interesting. I mean, where did it come from, and how did we go, okay, about 70 years ago... Most African Americans were Republicans mm-hmm. and most uh, Southern whites were Democrats. Mm-hmm. And today they flipped. Well, most African Americans are Democrats and most Republicans or most Southern whites are Republicans. How that happened is an extraordinary story. It has very little to do with Christianity per se and a whole lot to do um, with segregation, uh, integration, and uh, and states' rights, mm-hmm. you know, and the offenses in the South. Uh, of the federal government telling them they had to integrate schools against their will. And unfortunately, and I had always thought that really the religious right was about Roe v. Wade. And as as Skye really dug into the history, he goes, no, it's not about Roe v. Wade. It was all about uh, the federal government suing Bob Jones University Mm -hmm. because they hadn't integrated uh, by 1976. They were still segregated and taking away their tax-exempt status. And that's what led Jerry Falwell and his partner to launch the moral majority. Not that they were fighting for segregation, but they were fighting against the notion that the federal government could tell a Christian university what they could and couldn't do. Uh, They hated that, and that generated uh, all across the South this uh, kind of rejection of the power of the federal government – you know, which there was still a little of that latent from the Civil War, yeah. but it came up again uh, with integration of schools and with telling a Christian university what it could and couldn't do. Uh, the problem was that got very little traction with Northern Christians because we never really had an issue with integration. Uh-huh. Um, and so it didn't work with Northern Christians. They couldn't build a national voting block out of conservative Christians unless they found an issue that resonated with Northern Christians, which turned out to be abortion. And it was about, it wasn't 1973, it was 1980 uh, when Northern Christians first got inflamed about Roe v. Wade and joined Southern Christians in this, you know, we have to take back America. And it's a fascinating story, but it all started with Bob Jones University uh, losing its tax-exempt status because it wouldn't integrate in 1976.
2: So I... I do. I think that's such an interesting. I, I think the flip between where liberals, liberalism has been, is really, really fascinating. What I'm curious now is looking forward because, yes, you're right. For my entire lifetime, certainly, um, the GOP has been the religious right, the moral majority, all that stuff. Where we've landed now, though, is like it's hard to even. I, I read an article today about somebody saying like that all of the stereotypes about Republicans have actually come true like about it's not about christianity it's not about this it's about the like donald trump is by no means a moral leader in any sense of the word right. so what's the right. justification there now
1: where does it go from here do yeah. you, do you like think like well, i mean the, the younger generation of of evangelical christians uh were were discovering they're much less partisan than their parents mm. So there's probably going to be an abandonment of the Republican Party um, by, you know, millennials and and under. Mm -hmm. Um, Still, abortion is such a huge issue in conservative circles that it's very hard for a lot of people to get over that. You know, they they become uh, just single issue voters. And and that's, you know, a lot of uh, Christian leaders are trying to push back on that and say, hey, there's more. (laughs) <laughs> you know, there's, there's more to being pro-life than, than, than just before they're born. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's after they're born, there's poverty, there's immigration. The fact that so many uh, people who say they are followers of Jesus are so anti-immigrant, you know, anti-Syrian immigrant, anti-Muslim is just astonishing to most pastors. I mean, 95% of evangelical pastors were against Donald Trump. Um, wow. During the the uh, presidential primary, oh. now when it just came down to okay, what if it's just Donald Trump or a uh, Clinton? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh crap, <laughs> this is the worst case scenario. Yeah. And and a lot of it then came down to Supreme Court, it's mm-hmm. Supreme Court. You know, the the, the America is going to hell in a handbag. Uh, We're losing our religious liberties. We're losing everything, and only the Supreme Court could turn it one way or the other. And so that's the only. So we're becoming, you know, mono-issue voters, really entirely. And there are members of my own family that have come to this position. They they just have to hold their noses and vote for Trump because of the Supreme Court. I actually understand
0: Uh, the Supreme Court argument. I I just it's. That means you're voting—evangelicals are voting for Donald Trump, and that seems to—that's going to that's gonna backfire on them at mm-hmm. some point, I would think.
1: That- yeah, well, several—I mean, Christianity Today uh, just ran an editorial, you know, two weeks ago that mm-hmm. was picked up pretty broadly where where they basically said that's idolatry, you know, to to, to make the Supreme Court that important. Hmm. Uh, you're saying God can't accomplish his will unless you have conservative justices on the right. Supreme Court, and that's ridiculous. You know, right. the, uh, Christianity Today also called, and they never weigh in on presidential candidates because they try to stay neutral, partly because they are 501c3 religious organizations, <laughs> and, you know, there's some question about whether it's even legal for them to endorse a candidate. So they've never endorsed a candidate, and they still didn't endorse a candidate this year, but they wrote a long editorial saying Donald Trump and this was my favorite quote, is the biblical definition of a fool. (laughs) (laughs) And even then, it's not really moving the needle, which is scary how many, uh, not necessarily just conservative Christians, but conservative Americans have grown to distrust any voice of authority, quote-unquote, or expertise, quote-unquote, or journalism. Yeah, so I mean, that even if it's a conservative Christian journalistic voice, it's like, oh, well, that's the media. You know, <laughs> we, we don't trust them anymore. We don't trust anyone anymore yeah. except our Facebook friends.
2: Yeah, it's very, very bizarre that there has been just this absolute, like, as much as we're constantly connected to the media, like you said, Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, but people are so mistrustful of. So of like the They're New in their York bubble. Times.
0: They're in their bubble. But Nothing outside the bubble matters.
2: Yeah, but even he said like, oh, somebody said something I slightly disagree with, and it's from a source I would trust 98% of the time. Well, like this is one time they are full of shit. Like, right. uh, I don't know. Why don't – I don't know what's yeah, happening. Can I ask, it, can I ask one scary, more?
1: It's <laughs> and it's – I read a piece, a uh, long piece about the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the denomination and how influential it's been, you know, not just in the South, but everywhere. There's there's a, a Southern Baptist kind of thought, you know, in and, and general, I mean, I have a lot of Southern Baptist friends and I've done work with, with the convention itself, um, but there's a distrust of... Um, you know, northern politics, northern leaders, uh, northern, you know, media, so New York, LA, there's a distrust of the coasts and the notion that the heartland is where goodness lives. And because so much of the experts and the media, you know, oh yep, they're Yankees, and oh, they're in Hollywood. It's, it's really easy to write them off. And this is actually, there are significant uh, Southern Baptist populations in Oregon, uh, in Minnesota. It's kind of weird that <laughs> there's Southern Baptists in Minnesota, but there are. Uh, the influence uh, has really been intense in spreading a general mistrust of you know Yankee expertise, which includes Washington and the federal government. And it's hard to figure out how to turn that around. We have to wrap up. I have one more
0: uh, quick question for you. What does the creator of VeggieTales have to say about Sausage Party? What?
2: Oh, haven't...
0: <laughs> <laughs> have you seen it? Um, what do you think about it?
1: No, I haven't seen it. There's... Sometimes you have to have lines, you know. It's not cool <laughs> to have lines where you say, I'm just going to, I don't go there. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's funny, you know. I'm, I went and saw uh, the Book of Mormon yeah, just, you- <laughs> just because I'd heard so much about it. I listened to some of the music, you know. I'm fans of of the South Park guys, not necessarily because of how crude they can be, but just because of how clever they are. Yeah. So you know, I bought myself a ticket, went to see the Book of Mormon, and it made me uncomfortable because I'm sitting, you know, downtown Chicago, well-dressed crowd, you know, a city crowd, intellectual, well-educated. And they're laughing their heads off at jokes that are being made at the expense of a minority religion, you know. And, and it's just, I just, I couldn't get comfortable with that. So I have I have a hard time with, with things that are so coarse or so, you know, using uh, disrespect of of minority points of view. Um, and, and I don't mean racial minorities, but any kind of minority. Though to be fair, though to be fair for,
0: for Book of Mormon, from my understanding of it, plenty of Mormons saw it and laughed their asses off too. Because they and were, it, it of, was the jokes were, by the yeah, end. it was a lot of Mormons would tell you that's a right pro-Mormonism musical. Like it, yeah, it pokes fun at our people, but it is done out of love because these people are very devout. So I don't know that Book of Mormon was necessarily mocking you, you. saw in it what you wanted to see in it.
1: Well, of course it was mocking Mormonism because because Trey and Matt hate Mormonism. They've mocked it in South Park. They've mocked atheism too. I mean, they yeah. mock everybody. Yeah, they hate lots of things. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I don't think they hate those things. I That's, think they I can... just,
1: It was it was the polite culture. There's you know, and I think Trump is kind of all part and parcel of this of a, a breakdown of civility and kind of a joyousness in our rejection you know we're we're so happy to be away from uh Victorian mores and you know norms uh we're so happy to have rejected that kind of the the, the Christian ethic of you know 19th century England uh, that we we're just running away from it as fast as we can and we've decided that you can't say it's wrong uh, to be crass ever, because you're going backwards and, and not forwards. See, and I think I that's think not true. Getting because- accustomed to that much crassness isn't good for civilization. But
2: here's the thing. The things that Trump said, you know, buy, grab her by the pussy or whatever, that's been defended by conservatives who are touting your or, very- or not
0: dismissed or yes. not— It wasn't a disqualifying statement. I'm going to— I'm going to pause here because Wait, no. we are out of time, no. and Phil, we can definitely oh. continue this Keep, with you. No, Chris is
2: doing the arm motion. <laughs> going.
0: I have a baby to get home oh, to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, that baby. I know. Sorry. Uh, but, Phil, thank you for being with us. I know we could continue this, us, and I hope we do in the near future. You, thank you
2: so you live much around for here, joining right, Phil? us. What? Pardon me? You, you live in the... Separate, general, in the vicinity general vicinity. Of us.
1: Of, I do. Oh my I God. do. I'm just north of you. So, you know, whenever you want to get together, let's get together. I do enjoy, you know, if, if there are stupid things that Christians do and you just want some <laughs> Christian to attempt to defend them or not. Nothing feel free would make me happier. Call me up because that's I, <laughs> Man, Phil, I'm
2: going to take you up on that. Thank you so Thank much
1: you. for your time. You're welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at patreon.com slash That's he T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And
2: I'm Jessica Bloomkey. We hope you'll join us next time.